I think through the scripture reading we've already had and through the songs, my sermon's already been preached this morning, so praise God for you guys lining all that up. Um, as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, which Josh read just a little bit ago, um, I do want to let you know of a couple things coming up. Um, this deeply rooted thing that's just kind of built itself up through God's providence. Uh, we were having a, a youth event in a couple of weeks at Calvary Bible Church. I'd love for all you guys to, to join us up there. It's on the 25th. Um, we've got the conference coming up in November. Uh, Mike Abendroth, I know he's influenced me a lot. I know he's influenced Josh a lot. He was one of Josh's advisors in the doctoral program um, at the Masters. Um, and then also tonight at Bass Chapel, uh, Jeremiah Reiner, who preached at the conference, he's preaching at Bass Chapel tonight. So you guys ride on down to Sigourneville tonight. We'd love to have you at 6 o'clock. Um, but if you will, stand for the honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read three verses, the same three verses that Josh just read. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you. You may have a seat. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind. You are so gracious and merciful that you would allow us to gather here on the Lord's day, that we could come together as members of different congregations and worship together. Praise you for the worship that's already taken place through music, through giving, through prayer, through scripture reading. And Lord, we praise you for your son. May he be the centerpiece of what we discuss the rest of the day. I ask that you would be with me as I bring your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, I was texting with Jason about uh, I just said to him, hey, what do you think about Hebrews 12? And he said, well, actually, I just recently referenced that in one of my sermons. So it worked out perfectly. And uh, so hopefully this will be a good follow-up to that. What I want you to do is look to Jesus. That is why we are here. He is the reason that we are here. Look to Jesus. That's what this whole book is about from beginning to end. It's about looking to Jesus and knowing that not just our justification is a work of God, but our sanctification is a result of Christ working in us as we look to him. We see normally, since I was a Southern Baptist for 20 some odd years, I usually have about three points when I preach, but y'all get a bonus today. You've got five points. So we may go a little long today. No, I don't think so. But those five points, you don't have to write them down. They're easily picked out of the text. But the witnesses, mortification of sin, running, 
looking to Jesus, which is the whole central theme of this text, and to not lose heart. So what do you look at? Every day we look at things. What do you stare at? My wife catches me staring at her a lot. And she normally, instead of taking that as a compliment, she says, she just looks at me like I'm a creeper. I'm like, no, you're my wife. I can look at you. It's okay. But let, we say things like, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the ball, right? Keep your eyes on the road. I'm teaching my daughter to drive right now. I'm having to say that a lot. Keep your eyes on the road. Not just looking right in front of the car, looking out beyond where you're going, right? And that's us as Christians, keeping our eye on the prize, who is Jesus Christ. Keeping our eyes on him. What we look toward, it determines where our affections lie. What are we looking at? The things that we gaze on, they determine what path we take. This is the road to sanctification. Are we looking to Christ and he's bringing us toward him? Or are we looking off toward the ditch? We're looking off to the other side. The work of the Holy Spirit indwelling every single believer, conforming us to the image of the Son. Praise God. Remember, sanctification, it's the result of Christ's work, not a result of our work. Our work is a result of his work in us. Let's look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So therefore, we always say, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore what? Well, let's look back just one chapter. Chapter 11. It's known as the faith chapter. I've heard people reference this as the faithfulness chapter, but it's not. None of these people were faithful. Only Jesus Christ is faithful. God is the only one who is faithful. Look at these names. We see sinner after sinner after sinner after sinner. But what's it say? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Go down a couple of verses. By faith we understand. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Then we see by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. And all these, what? Died in faith, according to verse 13. Verse 17, by faith Abraham. 20, by faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. By faith Moses. By faith he left Egypt. By faith, by faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish. And who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That is the therefore that we see in verse 1 of chapter 12. Gained approval through faith. God has provided something better for us. That better thing is Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of this great cloud of witnesses that we see in chapter 11, our Christian heritage is people like Abraham. And you're going to say, wait, Abraham, Christian, he was before Christ, right? 
He was looking forward by faith to the promise that would come. The Christ, Jesus. That is the promise that Abraham was trusting in. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That massive cloud of witnesses that we see. It's not just chapter 11. It's every single saint that has ever lived is part of that great cloud of witnesses. Us here in this room today, if we are born again, we are part of that great cloud of witnesses. How about the saints throughout history? Those martyrs, that's where we get that word witness. It's really the word martyr throughout history. That they were burned at the stake for the sake of Christ. They were beheaded for the sake of Christ. You say, well, my story's not that spectacular. How about that wife who does laundry every day for the sake of Christ? That teenager who reads her Bible in secret because her parents hate the gospel. That is the same cloud of witnesses. That dad who leaves gospel tracks on the gas pump every time he stops. That is part of the great cloud of witnesses that we have that testify to the fact of what? That Christ is a great Savior. The only Savior. The sufficient Savior. Let's keep going in verse 1. So therefore, we've seen what the therefore is. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, this mass of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, I read out of the New American Standard because that's the only version that Josh would let me preach from. <laughs> no, no, that, that's what I normally preach from. But in the New American Standard, it says encumbrance there. Well, if you've got a different version, almost every other English version has a different word there. It's the word weight. And that shows us. So I think of an encumbrance as something we trip over, but a weight is something that drags us down. So that weight might be even better described as a tumor. Think of a tumor when you think of this word. That is actually where the, this word for weight or encumbrance is where we get the word for cancer. Oncology comes from this word. Well, who is an oncologist? A cancer doctor, right? So think of this word as a weight or an encumbrance, but also as a tumor. That mass, that tumor, rest assured, the great mass of witnesses that we just saw is far more reliable than that mass that remains upon us, than that sin that remains upon us, that burden upon our back. Why? Because when we look at that great cloud of witnesses, we see that Christ is able. We see that he is able to remove the burden from our back. He is able to in, cause us to mortify the sin that is in our life, in my life, in your life. When what? We look to him when we rest in him. To know that the surgeon's scalpel is in the Holy Spirit's hand. 
What does Ephesians 6 tell us that scalpel is? It's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit taking that with precision, cutting that tumor of weight, that tumor of sin out of our lives. Day by day, week by week. How does He do it? Every sermon we hear where Christ is magnified cuts a little bit of sin out. Every time we read the Bible, a little bit of sin is cut out. Christian, the Holy Spirit is using His scalpel on you in your life to remove the burden and to remove the sin. It's enabling us. He enables us to lay aside that weight that encumbrance, that tumor that influences us. We can mortify the sin that entangles us. Why? Because the Spirit lives inside of us. Praise God. Now, if you're not a Christian here, you have no power to eliminate that sin. You have no power to remove that burden on your own. Apart from Christ, that will not happen. It cannot happen. You will carry that around until you are born again. The only desire the non-Christian has is to eliminate, to eliminate sin is what? Because there are consequences to sin, right? That's that worldly sorrow that we see in 2 Corinthians. That worldly sorrow says, I don't like my sin, not because I don't like my sin, I don't like the consequences that come from it. That is the only desire a non-Christian has. I don't want to mortify sin. I just don't like the problems that come from it. That is what? That's idolatry. That's self-worship. It's not that I don't like my sin. I don't like the hard time I get from it. Notice in this verse, we oftentimes we know this verse, and we may say we hear weight of sin, but what does it actually say? It says weight and sin. These are actually two different things. Now, sin is a great weight. And it is a great weight even in the believer's life. But it says weight and sin, not weight of sin. Well, who is the audience of this letter? You can answer if you know. The Hebrews, right? It's called Hebrews. The audience, this is a sermon that was written down. It's called a sermonic epistle. And that means it was a sermon that was written down, then it was distributed. This is the only writing that we have to a New Testament born-again congregation. How wonderful is that, that we have an actual sermon preached to actual believers? We see a lot of other sermons, but they were what? They were preached to non-Christians. We see a lot of that in the book of Acts. They were evangelistic sermons. Here, we have a letter to an established body of believers that was written down for our benefit. All scripture is for our benefit. So we have letters to churches. We have sermons to the lost. But this is an established church. Who are they? Well, they're Hebrews, of course. What's that mean? Well, they were Jewish believers. They were part of the early body. Most of the early Christians were what? They were Jewish. They were Hebrews. What kind of weight do you think that was dragging down these Hebrew believers? 
Read the book of Galatians. You'll find out. You'll see that they were just trying to add, what, circumcision back to the gospel. What did Paul tell them? said, you alter that gospel, you're damned. So they were dragging in so much of that ceremonial law from their Judaism. Then that was a huge weight that was burdening them them down. We see Christ deal with this in the Gospels. We see Paul deal with this in the epistles. But all of Hebrews is about Christ being better than that old ceremonial law. That these things that we had to do over and over and over and over and over. Christ is better than Moses, isn't he? Praise God. He's better than Aaron. He's better than sacrifices. He is the God-man. We are free in Him. Our freedom is in Him and in Him alone. They were covered in Christ's blood, these Hebrews were. But maybe they didn't even realize it. They were so used to having to do, 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 to say you're free, that was a shock to their system. They don't, they don't want to believe that way. We, we've been doing all these years. We've been doing these things for thousands of years. We have to keep doing, don't we? No, you're free is what they're being told. You're free in Jesus Christ. Christ fulfills that ceremonial law. We are free in him. They were redeemed by his grace, but they're dragging in those old traditions. We know believers like that. We might be believers like that. Maybe it's a former Roman Catholic. Who what? They drag in, well, got to get kids baptized. I got to get married in the church. I got to give my money to Rome. I got to have last rites performed over me. I got to give a certain amount of money to, to charity. Do, 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 do. We drag that in. We can't just be free. But it is. It is free grace that God has given us. Now, we don't just stop doing. Just because we're not doing to earn doesn't mean we stop doing. We stopped doing in order to earn, but now we do out of appreciation for what he has done for us, for this free gift that he has given us. How about dragging tradition in to idolatry, to worship? Maybe you come from a legalistic Protestant background. Well, you got to wear a dress to church. Well, men, you better wear long sleeves. You got to have a tie. You got to have a three-piece suit on, right? Ladies, don't cut your hair so short. Men, you better not let it grow too long, right? That's a lot of the legalistic background that a lot of people come from. Well, we are free in Christ to do as we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, as the Word tells us. Lay down those burdens at the cross. That is where they go. And I know... I think you guys study Pilgrim's Progress in Sunday school. Y'all probably got a little visual when I was talking about that burden. You've seen it probably on the cover of your book or a nice artistic rendering inside the front cover of Christian with that burden up on his back. Well, let me tell you, Christian, when he went through that wicket gate, 
he was as free as free could be. As he went through Christ, the wicked gate, he was as saved as saved gets. But what? He didn't lose his burden there, did he? He kept carrying that burden. Until when? Until he got to the cross. That was when his assurance came. He said, yes, I've been saved this whole time. I didn't know it, though. I didn't realize it. I was dragging my old traditions in. I was dragging this burden of sin even beyond Christ. And when he saw the cross, it just fell right off. He gained assurance. Now, he was saved at the wicked gate. Man, what a anxious, anxiety-filled life we live sometimes. We've gone through the wicked gate. We have come to Christ by faith alone, and we still carry our burden with us. We haven't tossed it off. We haven't tossed it on Christ. That burden fell off. When? When he looked to Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's easier to run when we're looking to Christ. You know, talking about learning how to drive. When we're looking out at where we're going, it's easier to keep it between the lines, isn't it? When we're looking right in front of us, when we're being navel gazers, when we're staring at ourselves and our situation, what do we do? We dwell, we lose assurance, we don't run the race correctly. I just saw a video last night of this guy who, he was in a foot race, he was running, and he was going to taunt the guy who was in second place, and as soon as he turned to taunt the guy in second place, he stumbled and fell. His eye was not on the prize. That's sin that so easily entangles us. We can run with endurance when we lay it aside, when we lay aside the burden. But the end of the verse, it says that race set before us. Our great triune God, he has given us the race. What does it say? The race that was set before us. Before time began, God gave us the race. He set out the course perfectly. Said, this, my son, this, my daughter, is the way that I see fit for you to run, for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So this race was set out perfectly for each and every one of us. He's given us the course. He's given us the race. He's given us the means to run the race. But we don't look at it sometimes. We fail to dwell on the better thing, Jesus. We try to run it, what? In our own strength. When we do that, what do we do? We fail every single time. What do we do? We, we try to bring John Force's dragster. I, I don't hope you all know who John Force is. But we try to bring John Force's drag racer to Le Mans, which is what? An endurance race. Well, you'll get to the first corner really, really fast. You'll be the first one there. But you're going to run out of gas. 
You won't even make one lap. It says to run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's given us an endurance race and we're trying to sprint it. We've been given the right means to run the race. We have been given the Holy Spirit as our engine. The ordinary means of grace are our fuel. Read my Bible. Fueling up. Hearing a sermon. Fueling up, right? Taking the Lord's Supper. Fueling up. Watching a baptism. Fueling up. Singing with the saints to the King of glory. Fueling up. We can run with endurance, because we have the right engine bringing us along, the indwelling Spirit of God. He will bring us along. Why? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's read verse 2 again. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Other versions say our faith. But literally, it just says perfecter of faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Christ. That is really what we're to do. That's it. We're to look to Christ. Praise God. Laser-focused vision on our Redeemer. Uh-oh. That's a little tough now. Laser-focused vision? I have to have that in order to run the race? Well, if that's the case, that great cloud of witnesses over there is a, a great cloud of the damned. Because it's not the fervency of our gaze upon our Savior. It is his qualifications as a perfect saver to save to the uttermost. No, our laser-focused vision on Christ, if that's what it takes, we're all damned. But we have the right object of our faith, that is Jesus Christ. So, rather than being distracted because we are looking off to this or looking off to that, we can be motivated to get back on course, to look back to the one who is the author of faith, the, who is the finisher of faith. We get distracted by those weights. We get distracted by those sins. We can be in deep prayer, deep study in the word, and then boom, what, squirrel? There's a squirrel over there. Let me spend 15 minutes pondering that idea. We chase squirrels day in and day out. Our eyes are not always fixed on Jesus. We can desire and strive for that power in the Spirit. But praise the Lord that Jesus had laser-focused vision on the glory of the Father, right? That is the laser-focused vision that we are trusting in. That he glorified the Father in every single thing. Did I hear Josh a few weeks ago reference Machen's deathbed telegram? Did you? I thought so. so if you remember, if you're listening when your pastor preaches to you, he said, John, uh, uh, J. Gresham Machen, he said, I am grateful for the active obedience of Christ. What does that mean? The active obedience. We think of the passive obedience. He allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself to be beaten. All these things. But we think of 
the act of obedience, in that he perfectly kept the law on our behalf at every jot and tittle. If we are only saved by Christ's death, we just get back to neutral. We're not fit for heaven. It just means our sins have been paid for. But beyond that, we, when we trust in Christ alone, we are not only credited with his death to bring us back to neutral, we are credited with his perfect obedience. Praise God for the act of obedience of Christ. As J. Gresham Machen said, I am grateful for the act of obedience of Christ. That is what motivates us to obey, to remain focused on our Savior. Why? Because he is the only lovely thing to which we can fix our gaze. I mentioned before, I do. I stare at my wife sometimes, and she thinks I'm a creeper. Why? Because she is a lovely thing. But the loveliest thing is Jesus Christ. When we look to him, all things else seem a little blurrier. When we're focused on him, everything else seems a little less significant. We are to fix our gaze upon him. But who is this Jesus? That's the question. I know lots of people who profess a Jesus, but he is certainly not the Jesus of Scripture. Well, this Jesus, according to verse 2, says he is the author of faith, of the faith, of our faith. He gave us the faith. He gave us our faith. He is the creator of faith. We praise him for giving us our faith. For we are saved by grace through faith, right? It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. But we don't even dwell on the fact that he invented faith. He gave faith. When it was just the Holy Trinity before time began, there, there's no faith there. It's all Sight. It's all Him. It is the triune God enjoying the triune God. Even in the garden. It wasn't faith. It was sight. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It was by sight. But only through sin coming into the world was faith made necessary. So we can look to Christ. So we can trust in him. He is the giver of faith. He is the giver of our faith. Whether it be the general sense or the personal sense. Monergistic sanctification. We walk by faith. He is the author of faith. He is the perfecter of faith. Sanctification, it's him, God, making us more and more and more and more and more like the Son, right? That monergistic sanctification. So sanctification, we've got that covered. That's us being conformed to the image of the Son. This monergistic, what does that mean? Mono means one, right? Energo means energy or working. One working. Our sanctification is the work of God and God alone. Any work that we do is a response to him working in us. That way, he gets all the glory for our justification, but he also gets all the glory 
for our sanctification. And when we are glorified one day, he gets all the glory for that. Our salvation is a work of the author and the perfecter, who happens to be what according to verse 2? Jesus. Jesus, the author and the perfecter. He started it, he created it, he invented it, and he is completing it. Day after day after day, the one working. Jesus Christ, the one who is working. If Jesus is the perfecter of my faith, then you might ask, why, why am I not perfect? He did it. He does everything perfectly. But he's making us fit for heaven. Think of that as the process of sanctification. It is God making us fit for heaven in a practical sense. We are declared righteous already if we're trusting in Christ. We're being practically made more and more like the Son. Being made fit for heaven. He's teaching us about our state without him. When we were lost, we really had no idea how lost we were. We thought we were pretty good folks, right? For the most part. After justification, we see a little bit more how desperate our situation was. He is showing us, teaching us about our state without him and our state in him. He is bringing it to completion. The author, the perfecter of the faith and our faith. He always finishes what he started. He teaches us who we were in Adam and who we are in the last Adam. All to the glory of the Father. We've got to still understand who this Jesus is. There are a lot of false Jesuses out there, right? False depictions of who Jesus is. The author of the letter of Hebrews here, he gives us a nice, succinct description of who this Jesus is. This author, this perfecter of faith. The rest of verse 2 a lot of people think that was an early Christian creed. So let's look at that. It says, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're fixing our gaze on the one who wrote our faith, who is perfecting our faith, well, maybe we want to know who that one is, right? What does the text say? It says, for the joy set before him. What joy? Certainly not humbling himself by becoming a man. Certainly not the shame of being crucified. Certainly not the father pouring out his wrath upon the son. Certainly that can't be the joy that was set before him, can it? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes to all those things. He endured that. He, that was the joy set before him. Why? To glorify the Father. To redeem a bride. For the joy set before him to glory the Father. To, for the joy set before him to redeem the elect. For the joy set before him to reveal himself to the world. Yes, that joy. Praise God for that joy. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. Right? That's what Isaiah teaches us. The Father and the Son are of the same essence. There is no disagreement between Father and Son. So if it pleased the Father to crush the Son, it pleased the Son to be crushed by the Father for the joy set before Him. Enduring the cross. At the cross, at the cross where my Savior died. Right? 
The old rugged cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Why do we sing so much about the cross? It's just a piece of wood, right? That is the representation of the joy that was set before Christ to redeem a specific people chosen by the Father before time began. He is the finisher of faith, the faith, and our faith. At the cross, it was mission accomplished, right? At the cross, it was paid in full. It is finished to telestai. That means paid in full. He fully paid for our ransom. He fully paid for our righteousness. He enjoyed redeeming his people. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He bore our shame voluntarily. Adam did what? He hid his shame. We do what? We hide our shame. We say, wow, if my friends knew the evil thoughts that ran through my head, that would bring me great shame. If people saw me, the road rage that I get when I ride down Stone Drive, wow, people, I'd be really ashamed of that, right? Adam hid his shame. We hide our shame. Christ said, give me that shame. I'm going to drink it down. He said, he took that shame upon himself. He became shame incarnate. He despised the shame to the point that he became the object of God's wrath against shame. Shame was crucified in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the author of faith. Because he is the perfecter of faith. Because he endured the cross. Because he despised the shame. The God-man Jesus Christ, our Lord sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He earned that position. Now, he naturally has it because he is God, right? But he earned it as the God-man by his act of obedience, his passive obedience, by drinking down shame on the cross. He obtained his position by perfect obedience, the position of power, the right hand of God. All authority has been given to Christ. Why? For his active obedience on behalf of us. So we're looking to him, our Redeemer. We're focusing our eyes upon him, our Redeemer. Remember, Christ earned heaven. We don't earn heaven. Christ earned it for himself as the God-man, but everyone who comes to him, how? They've cleaned themselves up and they show up to church on Sunday, right? What? That's not it? No. It's by faith alone. He makes them new creatures. We can't possibly run the race in our own strength. It was very providential that Jason read Psalm 46. Because in that verse, some versions say, Be still and know that I am God. More literally, it says, cease striving. New American Standard, the LSB, they say, cease striving. This is where Martin Luther, y'all have heard of this guy, I think there's a picture of him right through there, based his hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Verse 10 in Psalm 46 says, to cease striving. 
How does that coincide with running the race? By God's grace, we cannot run the race unless we do cease striving. It is antithetical to Christianity for us to strive to earn his favor. But we can run the race through grace. The only way we can run the race is to cease striving. All in Adam have already lost the race. Everybody in Adam is striving, 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 striving. And what happens? They fail. They lose the race. Only in Christ, the last Adam, can we run that race to completion. Because the race has already been won. The cross has been endured. The shame has been despised. The Lamb of God sits on the throne today. But you want to do something, right? We all want to do something. We want to contribute that, right? We want to work, right? Hey, that's grace. Praise God that we want to work for our Savior. Because that's evidence that we've been born again. That's evidence that we've received His grace. That we have been justified we want to go serve him, but we have a new attitude toward our work. It's out of appreciation, not out of obligation. The evidence is that you have been justified. Your desire for holiness. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? Can we all scream that from the top of our lungs? Not here literally today, but in, inside. We scream that daily. Every time we see our sin before our eyes, we say, oh, wretched man that I am. We desire holiness. We want it to already be done with. But it has already been done with. Our Savior, Christ, he has already done it. We want to be more sanctified. We want to... Live a more holy life. We want to mortify that sin that is within us. We want to run that race. We want to have laser focus on the Savior. Let's read verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because the Lamb has won we don't have to grow weary. Because Christ is victorious, we can endure the race. Christ sits on the throne. We consider him. We dwell upon him. That's what that word consider really means. It means to, to dwell upon, to meditate upon, to have that be the centerpiece of our lives. We dwell on the person, the work of Christ, and we won't grow weary. Because the victory's already won. We don't lose heart because our heart is knit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have been adopted into the family of God based on the work of another. Because why? He endured the wrath of God. We can endure the wrath of men. He endured such hostility by sinners against himself. We can endure Similar things. The battle against the sin that remains in us can be endured. I am my own worst enemy. 
but I have a friend who loves me more than I love myself. It's hard to think that anybody could love me more than I love myself, right? We all love ourselves so much, but Jesus does. He loves me more than I love myself even. The victory is his, dear Christian. Look to Christ. That great cloud of witnesses, they're only witnesses to the grace of Christ. Let's look to Christ and that weight, just like Christian, it will fall right off. Let's look to Christ. Sin will be mortified. Look to Christ. You're equipped to run the race. Look to Christ, the author of faith, the perfecter of faith, the one who endured the cross, the one who despised the shame, the one who sat down at the right hand of the Father and said, mission accomplished. Let's look to him for endurance. We can focus on him. Look to Christ and you won't lose heart. Almost every time I preach, I think I quote Robert Murray McShane in this one specific quote. He says, for every look I take at myself, I take ten looks to Christ. He is the lovely one. Why would I want to dwell on the sin that remains in me when I can look to the sinless one? Why would I want to look to me when I can look at the perfect one? Looking to Jesus, we can lay aside that weight. You may have heard of these famous theologians, if you're my age or older, it's the band. The greatest rock and roll song in history is what? The weight. You would all agree with that. If you don't know that song, you can listen to it. I'm not promising it's very sanctified. But there is a chorus in it. And it says, take a load off Fanny, talking to the lady. Take a load for free. Take a load off Fanny. And put the load right down on me. Jesus is screaming to us, put the load on me. I can carry the burden. You can't do it. You can't run the race on your own. Jesus is saying, take the load off. Put it on me. Take the load off for free is what Jesus says. I've paid it all. Come buy without money and eat. Come drink without money and drink and be satisfied. Be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Put the load on Christ. Cast the burden off your back. Christ will carry it. Put the load on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind in every way. And you made us and you sent your son to redeem us, to despise the shame, to drink down your wrath against sin. And you've adopted us into your family. Help us to glorify you daily by dwelling on your son. Help us to rely on the Spirit whom you sent to comfort us and to grow us more and more into the likeness of your Son. We ask that you would be with this church, be with my own church, be with our sister churches today as the word is proclaimed, and may you be magnified. May May we not just magnify your name here at this place, but it be a way of life for us, that we can run the race in the power of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.